we are coming off a week where a few champions were crowned. Actually, not a few, just one champion was crowned, but we're coming upon a week where a few champions will be crowned. Last week, it was Oklahoma softball that uh, became the back-to-back women's softball champions. And then this week, we'll have um, the women's co- the Men's College World Series starting up. The uh, NBA Finals will be slowly winding down. We're going to have Game 6 here pretty soon. I believe that's on Wednesday. And then uh, the uh, the uh, uh, Stanley Cup Final begins this week as well. So we got a bunch of championship championship stuff on the line here that coming up this in the coming weeks weeks uh and uh, we'll see where that all lines up we're going to talk a little bit about a couple different things nba finals we'll recap a little bit of that and see where we stand um i do want to talk this is gonna be me being biased okay just purely be aware of that okay i apologize for this i don't really apologize for this but i want to talk about oklahoma softball because they are one of the most dominant sports teams that we have ever seen and uh, I think they deserve recognition for the incredible run that they just went on um, as a softball team. And we will talk about that. And I'm going to give you some statistics to kind of back up um, the argument that they're arguably the greatest, one of the greatest college sports teams to ever grace the field in any, uh, in any, in any sport, I would say. Um, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the men's college world series. I'll give you an idea of the bracket there. We've got eight teams left. They're going to Omaha couple upsets there. Um, number one, Tennessee is not making the trip after getting hugely upset by Notre Dame in the Super Regional. That was a massive upset in uh, the Men's College World Series. So we'll talk about the other seven teams in there as well. And then uh, I think we'll wrap it up after that. Maybe uh, maybe an interesting, actually not, we won't wrap it up after that. I have an interesting story that could come to pass um, later on, depending on how the story kind of concludes itself, if that makes sense. I'll talk a little bit about that. That was kind of a weird tease, but just stay, stick around to the end. You'll understand what I'm talking about. Um, first things first, though, I do want to please, if you're not, please subscribe, rate, and subscribe to the podcast, the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. Um, I'm your host, James Timberlake. Please rate and subscribe wherever you're listening. Um, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts, please give me a, a nice rating and a subscription, and um, that helps out the show a lot, kind of gets me in the trending section, and I become a, a much more popular boy, and I would appreciate that. So thank you very much. Um, moving on, here we go. We're going to talk about the Sooners first, I think. I think we're going to talk about the Oklahoma Sooners softball team. So let's get into it. They won the national championship this past week. Um, They beat Texas in the, I believe it was game three of the final in that game. Uh, They won 10 to five, destroyed Texas 10 to five. I mean, destroy is probably not the right word, but dominated 10 to five in that game and uh, in that uh, game three. And they became back-to-back Stanley Cup champion, not Stanley Cup, what? National championship, uh, national champions in the Women's College World Series. Their second straight, it was game two, excuse me, of the Women's College World Series on Thursday night to capture their second straight title. The Sooners trailed not, uh, two to nothing before pouring in 10 runs in innings four through six. They led 10 to two before giving up three running, three runs in garbage time. Uh, basically, the seventh inning, it was pretty much over after that. OU legend Jocelyn Allo took left field for the final inning to get a standing ovation before ending her decorated college career as well. Uh, Grace Lyons and Kenzie Hansen both hit home runs in the route and Sooners celebrated with a ground out to end it. Uh, Oklahoma Sooners team set the NCAA record with 17 home runs in the 2022 Women's College World Series. They're a dynasty. One of the greatest teams to ever grace 
a college athletic field. Uh, the 2022 title was Oklahoma's second straight and their sixth in program history. Five of those six have come in the past nine seasons. Allo's departure, Jocelyn Allo, she'll be leaving after this season. Um, it'll be a big loss, but there's little doubt that OU will be bouncing back and uh, they'll be onward and upward still from here because they have an incredible team. They're going to use the transfer portal in women's softball and they're going to use it effectively. They're going to recruit well because it's a dynasty. Of course it is. So of course they're going to recruit well. And then Patty Gasso, the goat. I don't know if she's the goat. She's the softball coach for Oklahoma. She's really good at what she does. Maybe not the goat. There's maybe a couple in front of her, but uh, one of the best in the world in in, in softball right now, for sure. Um, Just to give you an idea. So a lot of people that don't listen to softball or don't, you know, don't watch softball or anything like that. If you don't watch softball, go watch the Women's College World Series. It's a ton of fun. If you like baseball in general, if you just enjoy watching baseball, the Women's College World Series is really not that hard to just get into because it's not that dissimilar from actual baseball. Things are a little closer. The fences are a little closer, that sort of thing. Bases are a little bit closer. The mound to home plate is a little bit closer. But when it gets down to the nitty and the gritty, the hitting the hitting of the ball, the pitching of the ball, it's basically all the same other than the fact that they're throwing it underhand. They're still throwing the ball hard. They're throwing off-speed pitches. It's not like it's a complete, you know, uh, a distant, uh, distant runner up to baseball or anything like that. I implore you it's over now, but if you want to watch something that makes you feel, um, not too dissimilar than the actual game of baseball, go watch college softball in the women's college world series. It's a ton of fun. They, the games are always more than more often than not. They're pretty entertaining. And, um, yeah, it's just a good time there. And, you know, it's championship softball slash, you know, sports in general. And those are always fun to watch. So I implore you to go watch the women's college world series. It's more often than not worth it. And if you're going to watch a team, go watch Oklahoma softball, man. They're the, they were the best team in the world entering this tournament. But before the women's college world series, they were 54 and two. They had lost two times all season. Top seeded Sooners were 54 and two before the women's college world series started um, on June 2nd. So here's a couple numbers. To break it down, this is my argument for why they're the greatest team of all time, or not not the greatest of all time. That's kind of you can kind of get into that argument and you kind of get thrown in a bunch of different ways. We're comparing softball to football, you know that doesn't make any sense. But at the very least, one of the greatest you know uh, college sports teams of all time. You can throw them in that conversation for sure. Um, if you know you can make the argument they're the greatest softball team of all time as well. So here's some of the stats: um, four sixty-seven. That's a number. That is a number. Um, that is their run differential entering. That was their run differential entering the Women's College World Series. They had 515 runs scored this season and held opponents to 48 for a run differential of 467. Truly insane. So to give you an idea of like perspective for the number of 467, 467 run differential, the MLB... At the end of the season, they play 162 games. Everybody knows that. Um, the best teams in the league, just last year, we'll just take last year for example. Dodgers had the best run differential in the league. They had a 269, plus 269. They one of the best teams in the league. They didn't win their division. Um, the Giants won that division last year. They had a plus 210 run differential. Behind them, uh, 206. Tampa Bay had a 206. Houston, plus 205. You kind of get the point. This team, this Oklahoma softball team, had a 467 run differential in 56 games compared to 269 in 162 games for the Los Angeles Dodgers last season. Not comparing them, you know, directly, but just thinking about that is absolutely absurd. They scored 467 
I had a run differential of plus 467 last season. Absolutely insane. They had a cumulative ER, team ERA. Their pitching staff had a cumulative team ERA of 0.80. 0.80. And as, so they, they're not just hitting the ball well. They pitch extremely extremely well as well. Um, they had uh, one of the best pitchers in the country who had an ERA of 0. 0.40. Uh, Jordy Ball and Nicole May also were fantastic players. Both had a under 1.00 ERAs as well. I mean, they were, they were insane. Nicole May went 15-0 and in the season. Jordy Bow went 21-1. and So they were truly a historic team on the mound as well. Um, 38. So that's another number, obviously. <laughs> um, in order to understand the, what I'm about to tell you, you got to understand the run rule um, for softball. In softball, um, it's basically a mercy rule in which a game is called if a team is up eight-plus runs after five innings. Oklahoma reached the third the run rule 38 out of its 56 games this season including a 20 to nothing five inning uh, destruction of texas a&m back in the super regional um so 467 run differential and 38 of their victories um ended in a run rule in 56 games in 56 games so 54 wins and 38 of them they didn't even play a full game um they also had a win streak of 40 this season it's the third longest uh, streak win streak in ncaa division one softball history they tied its own record and was a game behind itself for second place. Arizona hold Arizona holds the record with 47 straight wins. Uh, the 40 game win streak was snapped by Texas on April 16th and uh, a 42 loss, a rare off day for the Oklahoma team and the Oklahoma bats in general. But I mean, they got the revenge. They won the championship against Texas um, last week. So, you know, the, you know, still 40, 40 wins in a row for third, the third best win streak of all time in the history of NCAA football or NCAA softball is pretty impressive. Um, their pitching staff also uh, going back to their pitching staff. They had seven no hitters this year, making it a borderline boring occurrence for other teams. 72, seven, no hitters. They also threw 32 shutouts before the, the uh, women's college world series, 32 shutouts, seven, no hitters. Their team batting average this season was 369. As a team, they hit better than Ty Cobb did for the best batting average of all time if looking at MLB player careers. Nine players on the Oklahoma softball team hit over 300 as well. It's unbelievable what they did. And not to mention, they were carried by Jocelyn Allo. Jocelyn Allo, the and I will say this without a doubt, the greatest softball player I have ever seen play the game of softball. She, is, she was absolutely incredible for this team. She was incredible in the Women's College World Series. She she didn't carry, but she was, you know, the MVP of that team um, going into the Women's College World Series and the MVP coming out of the Women's College World Series. She was absolutely unreal. Her slash line this season, 497 batting average, a 634 on base percentage and a 1.163 slugging percentage. What? She got on base 63% of the time. 63%. She hit the ball f- almost 500. 50% of the time she was going up there and hitting the ba- hitting the ball. It, unbelievable. She led, she led the team with 29 home runs in the regular season, uh, tied for the lead in RBIs with 72, and has 171 total bases this season as well before the Women's College World Series. She is impossible to pitch to, and to make where bad is worse, she's insulated by a lineup full of players with an OPS above or approaching uh, 1,000. She, I mean, the team's incredible. Jocelyn Allo, the greatest player I've ever seen pitch. This is one of the greatest teams we've ever seen play. I said pitch. Excuse me. One of the greatest players I've ever seen play. She's truly, I mean, this, this team is, it's unfathomable, unfathomable what they were able to do. Just 
all season long, 40 wins in a row, ended the season with a championship. They ended the regular season 54 and two. I mean, hats off to them. You know, you can say all you want about, you know, and this has become a common occurrence of the difference between um, men's and women's sports. And you can have that opinion if you want, even though it's kind of dated. I mean, you look at what, um, team, uh, you know, a team like this where they're just completely blowing out the competition, the only competition that they have, um, and they're just destroyed, effectively destroying each team that they play. That's so it's an improper argument to have. I mean, it's just incorrect. They're one of the greatest teams of all time, period, in terms of college sports. I will not have anybody say that they're not because what they were able to do this season, just based on um, pure statistical standpoint, has been, was incredible. It was incredible watching. They deserve the championship, uh, you know, period. They deserved it no matter what. Um, there was no better team in softball this year than that Oklahoma softball team. So congrats to them. Um, purely one of the most dominant teams we've ever seen in sports, uh, in college sports history. And um, they take home the second straight, uh, second straight, second straight national championship. So congrats to them. We'll see where they are next year. It'll be a little bit more of an adjustment period, I would think, because Jocelyn Allo is leaving. I mean, you don't get to see very often. Uh, a player who hit 500 on a team and led the led the NCAA, or excuse me, led the team with 29 home runs. Um, leave a team very often and uh, try to find a hole to fill there. But we'll see what Oklahoma does. Have full faith in Patty Gasso. You know they're going to figure it out. They're again a dynasty. So we'll see what happens with Oklahoma after this season. But uh, they're champions nonetheless for this season. And we are going to move on now. It was. So we're going to kind of recap the war, or the um, NBA Finals just a little bit because um, you know everybody's kind of paying kind of paying attention to the to the NBA Finals right now because it's one of the only things um, that has been going on. We're approaching a game six, I believe, if I remember correctly. Uh, we're approaching game six. The uh, and she, uh, the uh, Stanley Cup Final is approaching here pretty soon as well. It'll be the Lightning versus the Colorado Avalanche. That one's actually interesting. So before I get into that, the NBA Finals, but. This that one's kind of interesting. The, the 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 Lightning were able to come back, win four straight games against the New York Rangers to go back to the Stanley Cup Finals uh, for the third year uh, in a row for the Lightning. And it's kind of a um, I don't want to say the um, the 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 Lightning are a fading light. Not really. I mean, I, I not necessarily. But it, this one does kind of feel like if the Avalanche were to win this Stanley Cup Final, more of a passing the torch from the Lightning to the Avalanche as the Avalanche could become the next great hockey dynasty. This Lightning team has been, has been the great hockey dynasty over the last two, three years. And um, I mean, they're back-to-back defending Stanley Cup champions. They're back in the Stanley Cup finals again. So it kind of feels like almost a passing of that torch um, if the Avalanche were able to win. Now, if the Avalanche lose, then, I mean, who cares? You know, the Lightning are three-peat champions and that dynasty still rolls on. But the Avalanche have been red hot you know, I argue they've been the best looking team in this play and these uh, Stanley Cup playoffs so far, even though the Lightning are back for their third consecutive year. It did feel like the Rangers kind of had the Lightning on the ropes a little bit. Um, getting closer to like game uh, game two, game three ish. Um, but then, you know, the Lightning roll off, rattle off four in a row and it's a whole new series. And here we are. And uh, now Lightning are in the Stanley Cup finals and the Avalanche in the Stanley Cup finals. I think. Um, Avalanche probably have the advantage there, I would say. Let's look up the the betting favorites, 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 um, Stanley Cup final. So according to Vegas Insider, um, 
and it kind of lists a bunch of different uh, different odds books here um, or sports books here. Excuse me. It looks like the Avalanche are the favorites pretty much across the board. They got one eighty or negative one eighty two odds um, from Vegas Insider. Bet MGM has it at minus one ninety. Uh, Caesar Sportsbook has it minus one seventy five. We don't have anything for DraftKings yet, but FanDuel has it minus one eighty as well. So looks like the Avalanche are the clear favorites across the boards. Um, across the board, excuse me, the Con Smith trophy, basically the, I hate when they name trophies. I apologize. I mean, it's so, it's the final, it's the Stanley Cup finals MVP. That's what it is. Con Smith. I appreciate you. Don't know who you are. No offense. Sorry. I don't know who you are, but just make it the, the, the NHL finals MVP trophy. I hate when they name trophies and then we have to figure out the names of all these people and then figure out what their trophy is in accordance to. It's just... Anyways, sorry, I'm going to go on a tangent there. Um, the favorite for that, Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon. Uh, Kale McCarr is at plus 175. Nathan McKinnon's at plus 200. And then a little bit of a drop-off, Andre Vasilevsky, the goalkeeper for the Lightning, plus 400. 400 and then Nikita Kucherov, plus 400 as well, also for the Lightning. So a couple of uh, favorable bets there. Betting on a on a MVP like that is kind of a, I mean, you've got you know, 20 names you could pick from. And um, it kind of just goes up in the air at that point. So that's kind of a weird bet to make. I've never understood that bet unless you're trying to, unless you're doing almost a chase. I remember doing a bet for the NFL championship. You know which one I'm talking about that I can't say the name of. Um, but there's like different types of bets that you can make in there that make sense that you're not. Um, so you can at very least break even if that makes sense. You can bet specific players or positions and the positions kind of offset how much money you're putting into it if you bet it correctly. So anyways, another tangent, but uh, yeah, th- those are your favorites. Um, Avalanche are the favorites to win it. Your favorites for the uh, Con Smith trophy, Cal McCarr, uh, Nathan McKinnon, Andre Vasilevsky, and Nikita Kucherov. And um, yeah, we'll see what happens there. That starts the, uh, the, the first game for the Stanley Cup final starts on Wednesday with puck drop at 6 p.m. The Avalanche are at home for the first two games, and then they go to Tampa Bay for games three and four, and then... After that, it's kind of back and forth for five, six, and seven. So we'll see what happens there. Hopefully the Avalanche win. It'll be cool to see a Denver area team win one. Um, I know the Broncos won one, won a championship recently, but Avalanche haven't won any, haven't won one since 2001, um, early 2000s. So it'd be cool to see the Avalanche bring one back to Denver, um, a championship back to Denver. So we'll see what happens there. I kind of got off track there. I said we were going to talk about the Warriors and the um, and the uh, Celtics in the NBA Finals, but I wanted to just point out that it wasn't interesting it feels like it could be you know like i said a passing of the torch if the avalanche are able to knock off the um the lightning in that but we'll see what happens i mean that doesn't look like the lightning are wanting to go away anytime soon so it could go either way uh we'll see what happens first game is on wednesday okay moving on now talking about the warriors and the celtics um it was tied or excuse me it was actually uh the celtics were leading leading the NBA Finals last time we took a peek back in. Uh, we had Game 4 over the weekend, and Steph Curry had 43-point outburst. It was a disgusting showing from Steph Curry. Truly one of the greatest shooters of all time that we've ever seen. Not one of the... He's the greatest shooter of all time. I will hear no arguments otherwise. He is the greatest shooter of all time, period. He had 43 points in his win uh, in Game 4. They beat the Celtics 107-97 to in a comeback to even the finals 2-2. Two to two. That was over the weekend. Um, he hit seven threes. He went 7 for 14, 50% from three-point line in a vintage Curry night uh, with the dubs backed against the wall. 
Uh, Golden State outscored Boston by 15 in the second half in that game, including a 17-3 run to end the game. The Celtics just scored one field goal in the final five minutes and 18 seconds in that game as well. Andrew Wiggins also pitched in a 17.16 rebound night, while Draymond, Draymond Green continued to struggle. He's been very, very absent this entire finals. Um, the length for the Celtics down low seems to really be bothering him. Um, he only had two points in game four, and he has just four points over the last two games, or excuse me, over games four and three, uh, three and four at that point. Um, the NBA finals, they were all even at that point. And then we got game six and game six it was a cold night for Steph Curry it was like a complete opposite uh he went 0 for 9 from three but Andrew Wiggins came in and saved the day for the Warriors um they won game five again back-to-back games 104 to 94 this time back in San Francisco on their home court on their home court um the Warriors took game four behind a 43.9 from Steph Curry we just talked about but game five Completely different story, flipped on its head. It was Andrew Wiggins with 26 points, 13 rebounds, who shined the brightest on Monday as Curry had a historically bad shooting performance. I was just talking about his shooting. I'll let that dude shoot all day. I don't care if he goes 0 for 9 or 0 for 18. Uh, 0 for 18 is probably pushing it, but as long as he's got the confidence to shoot the ball, I want him shooting the ball. Um, Wiggins filled the gap on offense, though, while also holding Jason Tatum just five points. In the fourth quarter, on one for five shooting, the Warriors held the advantage through most of the first half. Boston took the lead on the scoreboard in the third, but the Dubs flipped it back with a Jordan Poole buzzer beater that sparked a 13-0 run before cruising to a double-digit win. And now, the Warriors are just one game away. One game away, they're up 3-2 after game five, and uh, one game away from becoming coming all the way back. That 2020 NBA Finals between them and the Toronto Raptors feels like forever ago now. Um, Clay Thompson went down hurt. Kevin Durant got hurt in that in that series as well. Thompson would go on to miss 900 days of basketball after getting hurt in that in that uh, in that game. I think he tore his ACL in that game, or it was it was either he tore his ACL in that game or his Achilles, and then he tore the other one um, like right before he was coming back from that first injury, and so he missed like 900 days of basketball before coming all the way back. He hasn't looked like. The player of old, obviously, I don't know if we ever will get the same Clay Thompson that we got beforehand, suffering those two injuries back-to-back like that is usually career-ending. That's not exactly something to come back for him, especially an Achilles injury with how important that uh, muscle is in your body, especially for a basketball player. Um, so I don't know if we'll ever see that sort of Clay Thompson again, but having him back is still you know, important to this lineup. He can still shoot the ball. He hasn't been outstanding this uh, this uh, this finals, but you know, he's still a very solid wing player. Nonetheless, somebody that's been very disappointing. We talked about him a little bit already. Draymond Green has been truly terrible for this, uh, for this, this Golden State squad during the finals. The, the Boston's length seems to be a very big problem for um, the Warriors and especially Draymond Green. Draymond Green and the Warriors love to play small ball. Draymond Green likes to go in as more or less the center for that team. And a guy like Robert Williams coming down on you or Al Horford coming down on you can cause huge problems if you're Draymond Green. And it has caused them huge problems, especially for Draymond Green. It hasn't mattered because you guys got you got guys like Andrew Wiggins stepping up, Jordan Poole stepping up, and then Steph Curry's just being Steph Curry, and he's just dragging um, Draymond Draymond Green's limp body <laughs> to the finish line, basically. Um, so, I mean, it's possible they close it out in Game Six. The Celtics are seven and zero following a loss this postseason. Um, they're now seven and one, obviously, but they've also went to game seven in each of the last two rounds as well. So Boston's not done yet by any means, um, but 
Warriors are one win away for their fourth title in seven years and one win away from it looks like coming all the way back from you know the first pick in the NBA draft a few years ago or a lottery pick in the in the NBA draft just a few years ago to coming all the way back and looking like a a, a dynasty resurgence if you will so that game game six um, comes up on Thursday 9 p.m. Eastern time again another 9 p.m. Eastern you heard my rant about that ridiculous. Eastern time, nine o'clock, and they're in Boston. Disgusting. Disgusting. Make that a six o'clock or an eight o'clock game or something, at the very least, an eight o'clock game. I'm not going to go into that again. Okay. I freaked out last time and I went on a huge tangent. So we're going to move on here. Uh, we got a couple more subjects. First, men's college world series. That is set now after this weekend as well. Um, we had a couple of the super regionals close up this past weekend. The last two tickets were punched. Uh, number two ranked Stanford. Beat UConn ten to five while number fourteen ranked Auburn pulled the upset against number three Oregon State four to three to earn the final spots in Omaha for the College World Series. They'll join the six teams already en route to Omaha. Uh, Notre Dame, probably the biggest story of the college baseball landscape right now. They upset the number one team in the land, Tennessee. Number uh, Tennessee was a clear number one. Um, they were dominant throughout the entire season. And Notre Dame just beat them two out of three, so a huge upset there. Arkansas stunned at number stunned at number ten in North Carolina with a walk off to provide two of the biggest upsets so far. And um, so the teams are now basically you got um, first. Okay, so here let me explain how it works first. You got the college, you got a sixty four team bracket in May. Uh, only eight teams at, remain after a series of elimination rounds. Your regionals, your super regionals. And those eight teams will duel it out in two separate four-team double elimination brackets. After each group of four finds a winner, the two teams uh, remaining will face off in a best-of-three series to decide the champion. That is your women. That is your men's college world series. So bracket number one is number five Texas A and M, number nine Texas, Notre Dame, and Oklahoma. Uh, bracket number two will be number two Stanford, number fourteen Auburn, Arkansas, and Ole Miss. So a lot of southern southern teams, baseball schools like Ole Miss, Arkansas. They're very much baseball schools, Texas as well. Notre Dame sneaking in there kind of from out of nowhere. Notre Dame, Notre Dame, not necessarily known for a baseball school. Obviously Notre Dame predominantly a football school. Um, Texas is also a football school as well, but you know, uh, they also have a very solid baseball program down there. Ole Miss has always had a really solid baseball program. Arkansas has always had a really solid baseball, baseball program. So it'll be interesting to see Sanford comes in as the number two ranked team in the country. So they're obviously the favorite in their brackets and in the rest of the world series as we go forward. And then Texas A&M, the fifth ranked team in the country, they're the favorite other bracket, the no, the other bracket and the favorite to make it to the world series as well. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Go Oklahoma. You know, you know where I stand. My fans of this podcast know where I stand. I love seeing Oklahoma make it. They, they upset uh, Virginia tech and their super regional and uh, dominated in game three of that super regional. And that's how they're here. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful to see. And I hope Oklahoma wins. We'll see what happens though. Regardless of what happens, you know, Oklahoma just making it was a surprise to me, to be honest. I, I'm now thinking of Oklahoma as a softball school, but here comes the Oklahoma baseball team. And they're like, you know what? Don't forget about us. Okay. Don't forget about us. We're going to, we're going to make it to the men's world college world series. And we're going to win this thing. And I said, all right, let's see it then. That's was, that was the inner monologue I was having with myself during the game on Saturday at whenever it was. So there we go. We got the uh, men's college world series. That's coming up this week as well. I believe first game started on Friday, if I remember correctly. And then uh, that goes all the way through, I believe next weekend as well. So uh, we'll see where those games ends up, uh, who the champion of men's college basketball will be crowned next week. And, uh, 
we'll move on here to another quick baseball headline. The um, Atlanta Braves won 12, have won their 12th straight game. As of Monday, they beat uh, the Washington Nationals 9-5, to the hottest team in baseball. They got four, uh, four bombs from Adam Duvall, Travis Darnot, Marcelo Zuna, and Dansby Swanson, but they got some other bad news. Um, Ozzie Albies, the starting second baseman for the team, uh, broke his foot in that win over the Nationals, a 9-5 win over the Nationals on Monday night as well. And uh, with a broken foot, obviously that's a huge loss for the uh, for the Braves. He's not having an outstanding year, I would say. Um, he's playing well, you know, but he's not having an outstanding year. Uh, the two-time All-Star, hitting 244 this season with eight home runs and a 694 OPS in 62 games. Uh, he hit 259, a career-high 30 home runs and a 799 OPS last season. So having a little bit of a down year, I'd say. Um, but, I mean, the, the Braves up to this point were pretty much having, uh, up until this 12-game win streak, we're having kind of a down year in general. But losing Ozzie Albies, he's a big, big, big part of that team, big part of that locker room. He kind of, um, his energy kind of invigorates the rest of that team. And you can see it just in the clubhouse, in the dugout, whenever he's playing. And um, that will be probably a pretty big loss for that team. So we'll see where they stand after uh, winning 12 in a row, and but losing their... Uh, they're starting second baseman. So we'll see where that ends up um, moving on here and closing out the this ep, this week's episode of the Weekend Sports Rep Podcast. I got a story here. And this one, I don't see a lot of people talking about it, mainly because it's kind of a, I mean, this is just my insight into the situation, mainly because I don't see a lot of people talking about it because it's kind of a story I don't think anybody can kind of relate to. Um, it doesn't look like you know, it's it's like if you've ever seen Succession on HBO, this is kind of what this feels like. Um, the story feels like it's just like family feuding, but with like billions of dollars at stake. And it's hard to kind of get into that from an outside perspective, looking in and get people interested in that. So that, you know, it makes sense. Um, but the story is so Baltimore Orioles, everybody knows them. Everybody loves them. Everybody loves to play them. No offense. Everybody loves to play them, especially the last, you know, five to seven years. Everybody has loved to play the Baltimore Orioles. They've been kind of the laughing stock of the MLB um, for the last five to seven years. They were a pretty solid team in the late, um, early part of the millennia, if you will. Uh, the, you know, 05 to 09, they were, they'd won, I think they won the AL East a, a couple times. Uh, they had, you know, Adam Jones, Chris Davis was, you know, the good Chris Davis. They had a couple pretty good teams. They made it to a wild card round. They made it to a divisional round a couple times here and there. And, uh, you know, they weren't terrible. They never won a championship, but they weren't terrible. Um, they had Buck Walter managing the team for a while. They've always had um, good production. I mean, back then, they always had really solid production out of, their bullpen, their bullpen was always something that uh, their pitching, their pitching coaching, their pitch coaching and stuff like that was always something that teams kind of looked up to because they could always find arms out of the mound that nobody really knew or out of the bullpen that nobody really knew and they would produce them into pretty solid players. Um, but that's kind of gone now. It's, Orioles have been the laughing stock of the MLB, especially in the AL East where basically everybody else in that division can compete um, except for the Baltimore Orioles. So, that kind of gets us into the story. So the two sons of Baltimore, uh, longtime Baltimore Orioles owner, Peter Angelos, are headed to court this week to decide the future of the franchise. Not this week, excuse me. They're headed to court to decide the future of this franchise as well as their father's law firm and family fortune. So according to Tim Prudent and Justin Fenton of the Baltimore Banner, 
Louis Angelos is suing his brother John Angelos and mother Georgia in Baltimore Circuit's County Court. Louis contends that John seized controlling power for the Orioles despite their father's intention for the two of them to control the team equally. Lewis also insinuated that if John remains control of the Baltimore Orioles, he could look to move the team out of Baltimore. That's a big deal. That's a pretty big news story. That's how, uh, you know, a lot of these guys will get your attention. Baltimore Orioles looking to move, you know, question mark, and then you'll click on the article and read all the succession type stuff. Um, So Peter Angelos, the owner of the Baltimore Orioles, he suffered a heart issue in 2017, and he established a trust with his wife and his two sons appointed as co-trustees. Louis Angelos' attorneys, Jeffrey Nusinov, excuse me, and Paul Rashke, sorry if I'm getting those names, Wrong uh, names wrong. Lisa statement explaining the goal of their client's lawsuit. Quote, the purpose of the lawsuit is simple. It read, quote, Peter Angelos created a trust for the express purpose of ensuring that his sons would share equally in decision making and inheritance of all family assets, including the Orioles. John Angelos, however, has been working secretly to undermine his father's intentions and to gain unilateral control. Lou Angelo, uh, Lou Angelos is compelled to bring this action to set uh, bring this action to set things right. So that's why he's suing. He sees his brother, the Lou sees his brother trying to take over um, the uh, undermine his work as a co-partner, a co-trustee of the Orioles, if you will. And um, he says, wait a minute, don't do this. I don't, you know, I, we're supposed to control this equally. We share this 50 50. That's what dad wanted. He has a heart issue. You know, he's not controlling the team like he used to. So we have to share this 50 50. John is like, nah, nah, I want this. And you know what? He wants it and he's trying to get it. So now Lou is uh, suing John and his mother, Georgia. Can you imagine suing your own mother? That's crazy. I can't imagine that. Shout out my mom. I could never, ever sue my own mother. I can't imagine going to court and seeing across the aisle my mother after suing her in circuit court. I can't imagine what that looks like or what that feels like. And I don't think I ever want to, but I also am not owning, you know, the Baltimore Orioles or something that has a significant amount of money inside of it. So, you know, um, that, you know, it's just, just, it's the, you know, it's a, that's the reason I don't think anybody's talking about it. It's just a family feud that's going to court. And that's, you know, not that interesting, but the interesting part in it is the idea that the Baltimore Orioles could be leaving Memphis, if John Angelos was able to win the lawsuit against his brother and able to assume controlling power of the Orioles amid his father's declining health. Um, in 2019, MLB inquired who was running the team and requested that a control person be identified. Lewis was working in a principal role in their father's law firm, and John took a more prominent role in running the business of the Baltimore Orioles franchise. In November 2020, John was approved as control person by other MLB owners. So, if he leaves... Um, or if he ends up becoming the uh, the um, the controlling interest of the Baltimore Orioles or what have you, um, he could look to move it to a place like Memphis, where I believe I read his um, his wife has uh, her business headquartered there. Um, the rest of his family lives there, so they could become uh, the Memphis Orioles, if you will. Baltimore, by the way, is a huge, fr- I mean, not a huge franchise, but they're a very storied franchise when it comes to the MLB. Just in general, they've, they've had, you know, Hall of Famer after Hall of Famer come out of there. Guys like Cal Ripken, uh, Brooks Robinson, uh, Jim Palmer, Eddie Murray. They've had a pretty storied, um, historic franchise. Just, you know, not obviously in recent years. They haven't been very good. Um, but a storied franchise nonetheless. And their attendance while it is down now, that's a, t- you know, a team 
like them with a good team brings in some pretty solid numbers and they're a pretty prideful team in the city of Baltimore. So this would be a pretty gigantic move. Um, I don't know if the MLB would approve of it or anything like that. And again, this is kind of a he said, she said kind of thing at this point. I don't think John Angelos has ever has come out yet and said that, you know, he wants to move the team like bluntly has come out and said he wants to move the team. I don't think he's ever said that. Um, but I mean, there's controlling interest there and there's an interest to move the team. If it is, you know, in Memphis where his, like I said, his wife's, uh, his wife's uh, business is headquartered there. His family lives in Memphis. So it's not out of the realm of possibilities at all. I would imagine for to see this team moved. If, um, John Angelus does end up moving or does end up being appointed as the controller of the Baltimore Orioles, um, as a whole. So they do get moved to Memphis. Um, I got some names that I would like to throw out there. Um, first one, my favorite, my favorite one, the Memphis barbecue pulled pork sandwiches. The second favorite, uh, Memphis guitars. Pretty good so far, I think. Memphis rock and roll. Uh, Memphis, Memphis country. Memphis. Um, I don't know what you'd name them. You can't do, you can't do the jazz because. Um, why the, not not the jazz? Excuse me. Can't do anything like the Grizzlies because you already have a Grizzlies there. Um, I don't know. I don't know. What you name them. I, they can't keep the Orioles though. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Just like when Utah move when the Utah Jazz moved from New Orleans, they kept the team Utah Jazz, and now everybody kind of laughs and scoffs at the idea that they're called the Utah Jazz. Like Utah, change your name. It doesn't make any sense with your team. It only made sense with the team where you were previously in New Orleans. It doesn't make any sense now with where you're at at all be change your name to something else please um so yeah baltimore won't or the memphis orioles won't be the memphis orioles it'll be something else like the memphis um barbecue fried chicken or the memphis barbecue pulled pork sandwich memphis uh guitars i've never been to memphis i've driven through memphis i've never actually been to memphis no their barbecue is good because that's something i've heard before so i implore to you john angelos if you win this if you're listening to this you probably aren't Memphis, the Memphis barbecue pulled pork sandwiches and your colors are, um, brown on brown. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good idea though. I like it. You know, it'll make your, it'll make your fans hungry and you make a ton of money off of like barbecue joints inside the stadium in Memphis, man, I should be a controlling interest of a team. That's a genius idea. Yeah, let's do it. Memphis barbecue pulled pork sandwiches coming soon. Uh, they used to be the Baltimore Orioles. They played 122 seasons in Baltimore starting in 1901. Um, but now they're going to be the Memphis barbecue pulled pork sandwiches. If John Angelos does end up leaving or taking controlling interest of the team and then leaves, that's probably what will happen. They will be called the Memphis barbecue pulled pork sandwiches. If they do end up leaving, because that's just the best name, um, that they could probably come up with. I think that one is the one that makes the most sense. So we'll see what happens. Um, I hope Baltimore stays. All jokes aside, I do hope Baltimore stays. Um, the Orioles are a not avid, but they are a um, uh, a good fan base. You know, they're not avid. They're not like the Yankees or the or the Red Sox or anything like that, where the uh, you know fans will show up even if they're you know whatever a uh, fifty four and one hundred eight or something like that. Um, they're not Orioles fans aren't like that, but they're prideful. You know, when they have a good team, they'll show up to the games. Unlike 
the Rays. No offense, Rays fans. Actually, offense. Sorry. I mean, you got a terrible ballpark, too. No offense to the Rays fans, but a truly dreadful park. Um, and Orioles don't have that. They got a beautiful ballpark. One of the most beautiful ballparks in the MLB, I'd argue. Um, right there next to the, the warehouse is super cool right next to it. And then I've heard that they've got a great ballpark just in general. So, you know, Baltimore, I hope they say the Orioles stay, even though Memphis barbecue pulled pork chicken sandwiches would be a cool name or barbecue pulled pork sandwiches would be a cool name and a cool team to watch. Um, I hope Baltimore ends up staying. So that's that. Sorry. I kind of went on a tangent there just talking about barbecue food. I'm hungry. It's 445, you know, getting ready for dinner. Um, But that's going to wrap up the show. That's how we're going to close it out. Talking about the Orioles possibly moving on from Baltimore over to Memphis. If all goes well for John Angelos and company. So we'll see what happens there. Um, that's going to wrap up the show, do- the show though. I want to thank you very much, all all of you, for tuning in. Um, give me names for Memphis Orioles. If, if you've got a name, thinking of a name, I love renaming teams just because I think there's a lot of uh, interesting things you can do with teams that uh, have history and stuff like that and have an interesting name. But there are a lot of really bad names, in my opinion, in the sports world in terms of team names like the thunder the oklahoma city thunder i think that's a bad name um utah jazz we talked about them already that's a bad name so give me other names for the memphis barbecue pulled pork sandwiches if you've got a good idea shoot me a comment on this post on sharedmedia.com or podcastwyoming.com as well shoot me a comment give me an idea for a, a name and i might like you i might like it i'll reply if i like it um thank you very much for tuning in sorry i'm really trying to close this out in a more easier way than this is going um thank you very much for tuning in remember to rate and subscribe it really helps me out a lot i'd appreciate it wherever you're listening to the podcast and uh yeah you've been listening to the weekend sports wrap podcast i have been your host james timberlake